0: This is the Canadian Investor, where you take control of your own portfolio and gain the confidence you need to succeed in the markets. Hosted by Braden Dennis and Simon Belanger, the Canadian Investor podcast day is April eleventh. My name is Braden Dennis. As always, joined by the Radiant Simon Belanger. Welcome into the show everyone today we're going to get into the news we're going to talk about TD the world's most shorted bank the TFSA and day trading uh, there was a, uh, a a recent court case we're going to discuss um some earnings and uh some acquisitions by uh Good old sleep, is this Sleep Country. Yeah, yeah, Sleep Country here in the
1: notes. Yeah, yeah, Sleep Country, and also an acquisition from uh, Tilray, so in the cannabis space as well. Yeah, a oh, little,
0: mm-hmm. a little bit of weed, and and then you sleep on and you, and you the, sleep it off.
1: There you go, the Casper <laughs>
0: mattress. <laughs> uh, I'm always baffled by Sleep Country's ability to keep going. You know, like. So it just seems like such a, a business model that would just be, have, have gone away
1: with Sears. Yeah. You know? <laughs> no, and they like... <laughs> like the same same people shop there. Yeah. Well, I mean, we'll get to it. And I, I pulled off some, a few stats in terms of sales and uh, free cash flow. And they've been doing pretty well. Like surprisingly... It's surprisingly well, a good business. Yeah, exactly. Like I was, I surprised myself when I looked at the results where I'm like, okay, this... It actually seems pretty good, yeah. Interesting. All right. Um, on most headlines, the
0: short interest in TD Bank has, uh, has stolen a lot of headlines. What's going on here? Give us the, the synopsis.
1: Yeah, so the headlines were that, uh, I'm sure some people saw it, is that TD was the most shorted global bank. Um, the largest... Uh, shorts in terms of banks and total dollar value and that's really important it's in terms of dollar value so there's td at the top pnb paribas at the second here bank of america jp morgan chase and then it goes down so td's at the top here for example jp morgan chase is at a just below 3 billion, where TD has 3.7 billion USD in short interest against it, topping the charts there. But you have to take that with a little bit of a grain of salt because it's not the most shorted bank when you look at the percent of the flow that is being shorted. If you look at that, it remains very low at 3.3% up from 2.8% from a year ago and Essentially what this means is there's still not that many shares of the overall tradable shares that are being shorted if you take that into account of course if you look at the pure number of 3.7 billion in u.s dollars it looks like a lot but you know it's not it's definitely like not taking into account the size of td but clearly it's more shorted than jp morgan chase which is lower and obviously a larger bang than td and for those not familiar with shorting because we do talk about it a decent amount on the podcast it just means that people are betting against the stock without Without going to the details of how it's done but essentially if you short a company you're betting that the stock price will go down versus going up like most people do ourselves included we invest in companies because we believe that you know ultimately the stock price over the long term will go up so there's a couple of reasons here uh, do you want to add so- something before I, I tell people like essentially some of the reasons why why there could be an increased short interest in t d no, I think that it's important that
0: you specified you know the short interest as a percentage of the float because you know you see an like you know the headline and of course it is panic inducing and of and of course that is the goal of the people writing the headlines i I don't know if I have any particularly hot takes other than Simon, you know how you could lose a lot of money over the last 20 years being short high quality canadian banks like <laughs> has that worked at all uh now i'm not <laughs> saying that that's you know short term versus long term i just think that it's it's absolutely silly and uh I am not a bank stock investor, but I do see this as an opportunity. I'm not a bank investor in general for all of the reasons that have occurred in, uh, you know, what, two months-ish? For all of those reasons, but shorting Canadian banks, I think, is an absolutely sure way to lose money historically.
1: Yeah, historically, as hasn't done well, and I think if anyone's interested in shorting in general, I think you have to really be sure of what you're doing, um, and that's why the best short sellers usually don't end up shorting that many stocks. They do a whole lot of research, and then when they actually figure out a company that's worth shorting they go ahead and do it and it's usually some pretty sizable bets as well right it's not you know 0.5 percent of their their portfolio it'll be more than that but shorting banks in general i mean i i'm not as well versed as some people are on banks clearly have been digging into them uh, quite a bit more with the banking crisis and i've learned a whole lot on banks themselves the one thing i would say if anyone owns banks you should probably have a good understanding of what their assets and liabilities actually look like and i'll talk a bit more um, on that in future episodes but just not not just a balance sheet but understanding what type of loans were predominantly they're exposed to and things like that which takes quite a bit of time if not personally i would just go with uh you know a basket of banks then or a kind of a index fund or etf that uh invests in a series of banks so that's the way i would approach it um just to alleviate the risk associated with a specific bank for example
0: yeah as soon as this headline uh caught the attention of the investing community The stock sharply lost like 17% of its value over a few trading days, which is, you know, considerable for a company of its market cap for sure. But look, I I am probably the last guy to be buying TD Bank stock, you know, right now. But hey, I, I do see this. If you are bullish on Canadian banks, I do see this as an opportunity. That being said, I see lots of problems with almost all Canadian banks. And I've, the, I've seen those problems for a long, long time. I've been wrong. <laughs> you know, if you, if you're keeping score at home for uh, the stock price, mostly wrong. Um, but I, I certainly have my concerns. If you don't share those concerns, I don't see how you don't see this as an opportunity on uh, a TD particularly.
1: Yeah, no, exactly. And so in terms of the four things that most likely are leading people to short TD, um, well, the first one is they had agreed to pay $13.4 billion to purchase a regional bank called First Horizon before the banking crisis. Um, now it's unclear whether this is going to go ahead or not. Regulatory approval had already been delayed and the market cap of First Horizon, uh, when I last checked uh, Friday, it was, or over the week can it was around 9.5 billion so clearly pretty significantly less than what their offer was and the regulatory landscape for bank is also likely to change in the coming months and years so there's extra uncertainty especially for a bank like td who has a lot of exposure in the u.s so one thing that we i can you know I can know with almost 100 ni- percent certainty is that with a fallout of SVB signature Silvergate in the U.S., you're going to see regulators there having different regulatory requirements for banks. I think that's uh, almost certainty. What will they be? I think that's a big question mark. But we can probably make some guess. The second reason here is they do have quite a bit of exposure to the Canadian housing market through mortgages and. Especially if employment kind of slows down in Canada, that could spell trouble for them over there. They own around 12% of Charles Schwab, which is seeing some trouble because it also has a lot of uh, help to maturity assets, just like uh, Silicon Valley Bank did. So that could be an issue for them. Without digging into this, there are some key differences between SVB and uh, Schwab, but their depositor base is definitely less concentrated than it was at SVB. So there is a little bit of, um, let's say, uncertainty regarding Charles Schwab. Basically, from what I've read and what I looked, they're not liquid right now. So if all their deposits would actually flee schwab they could be in trouble but i don't think that's likely to happen because the depositor base is much more diversified and it's also 80 percent of their depositor base that is insured versus svp that only had 15 percent 15 of their deposits insured but i think people still have svp in the back of their mind so that's definitely weighing on td with having such a large stake into charles schwab and the last one but not least td is one of the 10 largest banks in the u.s by assets with just under 400 billion in assets and that's their u.s assets only if you included td they're worldwide operations obviously including canada there they would actually be the third largest u.s banks with all their assets so it's kind of crazy and the big six in canada would be in the top 10 of u.s banks if you included all their assets so that gives you an idea how big uh, banks in canada and how consolidated it is versus the u.s where there's a slew of regional banks i think we're already starting to see consolidation there but it's nowhere near what what it is in Canada. Well, that's a fun fact. I I love fun facts, and that is certainly a fun (laughs) fact. Dude,
0: Charles Schwab bought TD Ameritrade uh, from TD, uh, John Dominion, in 2019. November 25th, I I believe, is when the the news came out in a $26 billion deal. So that also tells you the the ties between them. Uh, Look, you know, you get the you get the catalyst of i I don't, think, I don't even know if it's a catalyst because how long have people been bearish on canadian mortgages like that seems like to be the old song and dance since uh since i've been an investor uh and then you, you compound that with the bank issues and the charles schwab issues it just looks like an a trade uh for a lot of these sh- funds that are going short on it it looks like just a trade opportunity so i I don't know how long they sit in that we'll see
1: and also potentially arbitrage right with the first horizon uh, potential deal like there's a lot of people saying that they'll look to renegotiate that um, at better terms and i mean i have no idea whether there's a breakup fee or what not but considering the the state of regional banks in the us um i think it's probably in first horizon's best interest to actually you know maybe play ball there but yeah. uh we'll we'll see anyways it's the one thing i'll finish on th- is just make sure
0: billion was the the ticket price the agreed right? price yeah oh, okay
1: and I think for most people, just make sure you read beyond the headlines. I think that's the, the moral of this story. Uh, yeah, there's still a decent amount of shorts, but it, it's not as big as it sounds if you're just looking at the headline in terms of the most shorted bank worldwide. The reason it also gets this kind of visceral reaction
0: is you get such a blue chipper that has that kind of headline. That's what has such a, an intense reaction, I think, from people. Yeah.
1: Mm-hmm. No, yeah. I mean, and fun fact, actually, I had, uh, I had to cancel a few uh, family dinners just because of my back uh, this weekend. But we did go to one and, uh, you know, one of the uh, family members that knows I have a podcast. First question he asked me was, should I sell my TD stock? Mm, yeah. <laughs> it was like a trending so I- search in Canada. Yeah, probably, but it was kind of just uh, figured I'd make you laugh. Yeah. yeah, that's good, dude. I hope your back's okay. Yeah, uh, it's, it's doing a bit better. Trending. Yeah, it's better. doing a bit better. Okay. Yeah. good. I got, got physio, so I'm hoping uh, she'll be able to do magic on it this week. Yeah, yeah. You, you and uh, Adrian from
0: from Stratosphere, you guys both uh, heading to Cairo tomorrow for your backs. Yeah, the, uh, <laughs> the young guys. with who are both specimens of athletes, have the back issues. You guys, I hope you guys get better. All right, let's talk about the TFSA and day trading here from the Globe. A tax court judge has ruled that an investor who had day traded stocks in his tax-free savings account must pay taxes on the income, opening the door to huge tax bills for other frequent Traders. Tax Court of Canada Justice David Shapiro ruled that the investor was running a business inside his TFSA, which grew from 15,000 to 16, sorry, from 16, 15,000 to 617,000 over a three year period. So from fifteen k to over six hundred grand. Hey, nicely done. Well sir. done, buddy. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Uh,
1: what what in the GameStop did you do? The I'm gonna time- say uh, it's probably it was probably in 2020 and 2021. That's gonna be my guess. Uh, well, probably not 2022. Oh, no. you said 2020. Oh, my bad. 2020 and 2021. Yeah. yeah, you're right.
0: You're right. He traded those time periods and then just went to sleep you know he, he got locked out of his brokerage luckily um so this is making news on the website that everyone is so nice on and gets along so well on called twitter and the reaction is confusing because this is not news to me uh you've never been able to day trade in your tfc but they're is a slightly gray areas to this in in how it's written, so uh, I'll I'll give him the benefit there. Um, the comments were endless amounts of people that like seemingly just genuinely didn't know you can't day trade in your TFSA and TFSA language in how it's written. There is a lot of legalese and it's a little gray. But you and I have said on the podcast several several times here. And watch out. You might get a tax bill if you're actively trading in your TFSA. And I guess if you don't do the research yourself or listen to this great podcast, there are millions of brokerage accounts that opened in 2020. That's the the number that IROC posted was 2.1 or 2.1 or 2.6. Whatever. Over 2 million brokerage accounts were opened in the year of 2020. And That year, the stock market casino was alive and well. It it was alive and well, as you just mentioned in 2021. And your broker isn't saying, Hey, you can't do this. You know, your broker's not telling you that. Uh, you know, your, your broker's not saying, Hey, dude, you racked up hundreds of trades today in your TFSA. You can't do this. In fact, they're loving the trade volume. Of course they are. It's their business. So to to me, we knew this, yes. But yeah, the the language was very vague. I don't know if you have that language up in front of you or, or, or you can speak to this. You probably know better than me. But if there have been other cases like this involving the TFSA and day trading, I'm not sure. But this does set the legal precedence and shows the CRA stance on this, that if you're going to use your TFSA for short-term tr- active trading – it constitutes as business activity, and you could be seeing a tax bill.
1: Yeah, I mean, I, I I've read the language before. It's been a, maybe a year or two since I looked at it. The the one thing that I can remember clearly is it's not clear. That's, <laughs> I can remember clearly it's not clear, and I okay, mean it enough. is it is very ambiguous. So it doesn't. The issue with it is doesn't really define what day trading is. So, right. I think that's the biggest issue that people can face into is like, where's the cutoff, right? Yeah. Is it um, intraday? Is it intraweek? Is it intramonth? Like- yeah, exactly. So, I mean, I really don't know. I guess if you go by what day trading means is you'll kind of be in and out of a given stock within the same day. Yeah. Um, I think at the basis, that's what it means. But again, I think... Unfortunately, that the law was written, you know, or at least whatever documents that they have on the CRE website was done in a way that it, it's still a bit unclear what the, the kind of cutoff is. Um, I'm sure if you kind of buy a stock and you sell one and that's the only thing you do in the same day, but you never do it again, it probably will be okay don't take this as advice thinking it will be okay i'm just thinking logically it will probably be okay they're i'm assuming they're probably going after people that have like large volumes of trading So I think that's probably what they're doing, because, you know, what's the point going after someone who has five thousand dollars in their brokerage account and on one or two occasion kind of, you know, bought and sold for five hundred dollars worth or whatever it is. Right. So I think they'll probably go after the bigger fish like this one, which makes more sense. And they they know they can actually win into court. That was brilliant. It was so clearly unclear,
0: and yes, I agree. That's that's the synopsis that you and I had last time we were looking at it. And look, they're going to look at the people who have large sums of money in their TFSA because those are the ones they can send a tax bill to. <laughs> <Right>? yeah, exactly. <laughs> like you know, the the people who saw gigantic losses from their trading activity don't have any tax to pay. So no, that's
1: it. Yeah. So it's I think. Yeah. yeah. I don't know. It's like I said, I, I don't do that. I mean, the, the most trading I've done on stocks is probably buy it and then sell in within six months or something like that. Right. Yeah. So it's not uh, I, I'm fine with it. But just be aware that it could create some issues if you get into the habit of uh, trading too frequently in your TFSA. Yeah,
0: and it's like so many of these things with with taxation and, and and getting audited. It's like, yeah, probably gonna be fine, but like, why, 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 why the headache, right? Like, just and the stress and, and the yeah, stress. Yeah. Like, you know, if you're gonna day trade, do it in a in a taxable account. All right. Um, We got a merger happen. We got a couple mergers here on the news. Yeah, a
1: couple mergers. Yeah, this one is uh, Canadian crypto exchange mergers. So, Canadian crypto exchanges, Wonderfi, uh, Ticker WNDR, Coinsquare, Coinsmart have announced uh, that they will be looking to merge. All three companies combined would result in 1.65 million users and more than $600 million in assets. And according to, to Wonderfi, it would be the largest Canadian... Uh, crypto brokerage. So that's something definitely to take note. For those not aware, Kevin O'Leary is a strategic investor in WonderFi. Um, as a side note here, hopefully for him, it's a better investment than FTX, but uh, <laughs> i will see whether that pans out or not. And if it goes through, like I said, um, they'll be the largest company. And once finalized, WonderFi shareholders would own 38% of the newly formed company, Coins, Coinsquare 43%, and smart 19 um so something to keep note of i know you know not everyone's interested in crypto but uh, this i uh, my understanding is that it will still be uh traded on a public market so something to to keep an eye on and uh, i guess we're seeing some consolidation in that space i can't see how too many people would be excited to own this
0: business on, on in the public markets
1: well, yeah. yeah, and right now, too, especially in the States, there's a lot of regulatory action, especially by the SEC. In Canada, like, there hasn't been too much. I looked in the budget, didn't see too much on crypto per se, aside from them looking to uh, kind of – restrained pension plans for it. not restrained but uh, getting pension plans to actually disclose if they're investing in cryptocurrencies or pension projects um, but aside from that there hasn't been too much in the states i mean um, there's still not really clear regulations when it comes to that so you're seeing different agencies in the u.s kind of fighting to impose regulations and then now crypto exchanges are actually starting to fight back into court because they're saying well you know you're in Interpreting the law this way but there's actually we don't agree with that so it's probably going to be decided to court because as you know and a lot of people know if they follow u.s politics um, they can't seem to get bar- bipartisan support on le- legislation unless it's for something against china so um, we'll see whether there's actually changes there, and if there are changes there, whether it impacts the regulatory landscape in Canada, because at the end of the day, there's a lot of influence from what happens in the U.S. to Canada. This, so this is the uh, Mister Wonderful, Kevin O'Leary, yeah. one. Yeah, that's why I was saying. I hope it uh, works out for him better, better than, than FTX. this FTX in- <laughs> investment. If they, hey, if they need capital,
0: I don't know if you know Shark Tank. So you might not, may or may not get this joke. But if if they need extra capital, I have a royalty deal I can propose for him.
1: Okay, okay.
0: <laughs> you ever watch the show? You always.
1: Oh yeah, yeah. Like, Usually, I mean, back like, in the okay, day, when we he was on three hundred thousand
0: dollars for ten percent of our company. He's like, okay, I hear you. What you're saying, I'm not going to not answer what you actually want, and I'm going to give you debt
1: via a royalty. <laughs> or give you the money you want for eighty percent of 80% your business, eighty percent of the
0: company. Yeah. Yes. Dude, Coinbase went public in April 16th, so basically exactly 2 years ago, right? Yeah, exactly yeah, 2 so. 2 years ago. January of this year it hit a low of $33 after IPOing at $342 my goodness a 90 percent drop in the value of stock now it's 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 rallied quite a bit like most of these risk on tech stocks have uh this year but my goodness uh what an ipo debut
1: that's uh, i mean they chose their time uh, well that's for sure, yeah. But Coinbase is actually the company that says it will fight back with the F- SEC if they bring uh, enforcement on them and they don't agree. So they have the the wherewithal of actually fighting into court, but you've had other crypto exchanges that just settled. Um, so the SEC recently, I think in the last two weeks, they issued them kind of a notice saying that impending regulatory action. Basically, it's a heads up telling you, you know, you want to do something about it or it's coming? Uh, that's my understanding of it so right. uh yeah it's always I mean their timing was good with IPO because they definitely um capitalize on the markets that's for sure
0: yeah, I just wonder like you know, yeah you get to raise a boatload of money on your IPO you get some liquidity, the insiders probably cash out quite a bit, but then you just you know you had this asset that was marked to mark on private valuations from venture capital that just seemed to go up every single round, no matter what to Holy smokes! Ninety um, percent of the equity value, the equity is down. Like uh, you, you could crazy. argue both yeah. ways about the luck of that timing, right? Mm-hmm. Depends. Depends how you look at it. All right, let's talk about Carmax. If you thought this game was easy, Carmax reported earnings this, this morning. Okay. The headliners come numbers come out. The stock fell like 8% immediately. It's now over 10, up 10% on the day. Let me just verify what it's at. Uh, yeah, 10.5% in today's trading day here, April 11th. And so, uh, you know, no one knows what's going on. Now, this is a business we should certainly have every quarter um, in in our earnings roundup because It's the it's the shoulder season, so we can talk about it, and it's also just such a great proxy for the used car market for context. CarMax sells, with their retail locations, about four percent of the U.S.'s used car market via wholesale vehicles and just used vehicles. Those are the two two segments, and the headline numbers were pretty grim, to be honest. Like sales were five point seven billion, which was down. 25.6% Twenty-five point six percent year over year on the top line revenue, uh, only down roughly seven percent for their fiscal because this is their this is their fourth quarter, but still like pretty bad. Earnings were cut in half from ninety-eight cents to forty-four cents, and even worse, down fifty-six and a half percent for the full fiscal. Now, how do you read this? And and the stock is up. You know, well, they beat guidance. And that's how bad it's looked for these used car retailers for cost pressures on a per unit basis and demand. Uh, So used car vehicles in units was down 12.6% in sales, wholesale down almost 20%. The silver lining here, I guess, is that they were able to keep margins really solid on a shrinking unit sales and average selling prices, like both of those what they're up against. And they were really good at keeping expenses in SG&A down, which is a nice signal to the market these days that they're able to just kind of like flex that operationally as they need to. You know, the market in 2023 loves companies that easily can pull levers to boost profits, raise prices and shrink expenses. That uh, That might be a bit of a stretch here for CarMax, but like look at Meta and look at Airbnb for two examples. You know, they say happiness is expectations minus realities, you know, and stock price reactions are just expectations minus performance. Looking out a little bit longer term, CarMax has been a really good operator. They've grown the store base and they've they've grown the number of cars they sell at a really, really nice clip like this fiscal ends with 807,823 cars sold. And that number was, you know, in the 400,000s in 2013. So they've basically doubled it during that period and um, more than doubled it on the uh, the wholesale vehicles number. So, you know, overall impressive. You know, there's some absolute duds in this space. I don't think CarMax is one of them. I think that, you know, the carvanas of the world; those those companies are probably destined for uh, for a chapter filing at some point. But this one is is a good business. It's over ten billion in market cap. Uh, good operators, nice little network effect, huge economies of scale. But look at them; you know they're playing in a macro environment that I'd throw up in the commodities type category of really hard to consistently be great
1: yeah i think the one thing that may be bullish for for a company like carmax is because used vehicles are cheaper than new vehicles and if we are going into an economic downturn um this that might actually put a floor in terms of the number of units sold because you may have people that need to buy a car and in better times, they would have considered a new car, but now uh used car is kind of the logical option or the only option for some. So I feel like they may kind of benefit from the economic cycle in a weird way, if you understand what I'm saying. No, I do, for sure. I mean,
0: everyone knows. I'd hope so. I I, th- I would say that it is very common knowledge in terms of personal finance that a used car is a much better purchase than a new one. I think that's kind of like drilled into every, you know, like (laughs) grade 10 in civics and career class or whatever. Like you've like, you know, the class where it's like, they teach you the basics of adulting. You still don't know how to do your taxes, but you can do some other stuff (laughs) and you like learn, like don't buy a new car. It's a bad idea. Uh, So I, I, I hear what you're saying. I think that you're probably right in terms of a floor being created there.
1: Yeah, no, exactly. Um, Now, I guess we'll move on to what we alluded to. So, Sleep Country Canada is buying Casper Mattresses Canadian assets. So, they announced they would be acquiring it for $20.6 million. Uh, Casper, for those not familiar, I mean, I think a few years ago, they were doing so many commercials. But essentially, it's a a mattress-in-a-box company, uh, primarily in the U.S., but they had some Canadian operations. Sleep Country Canada already has a a mattress-in-a-box operation because they did the uh, and they acquire Andy in 2018 um, and Sleep Country Canada has a market cap of just under 800 million and they do pay a decent dividend that's yielding 3.5% and like we were talking at the beginning of the show um, you know they've they've done pretty well not a company that you know I follow closely and might I say they, they have the best ticker um, dude the uh, ticker is amazing it's z dot dot t o right or z z z depending uh, you know how people say it. Which one's the Canadian way? Zed, right? Uh yeah. I don't know. Zed. I just get confused. Zed, okay. Right. I don't think I say Z anymore. I think we had an email on that saying we should be using Z instead of z. <laughs> yeah. Did when you get those emails, so I'm just like, oh god, you have uh, so much time. Uh, it's, it's funny. <laughs> Anyways, there you go. However, you want to say it. It's uh, I just triple Z. I only heard you T. say
0: one Z. So I was like, isn't yeah. it Z Z Z? Like, sleep, yeah, but you it's know? Z-
1: yeah. Oh, yeah. Z- <laughs> it's like sleeping. Yeah, you're right. You're right. um but anyways, they if uh, for people interested in that company, they've actually grown revenue at a decent clip over the past seven, eight, eight years, although kind of stagnated a little bit. 2021, 2022 um, plateaued, I would say. So this may be a reason for them to try and expand and get some additional sources of revenue. But uh, free cash flow per share has actually been quite impressive, like mostly on the uptrend since 2015, like not fully straight line to to the top right but you know pretty pretty close in terms of consistently uh, going up over the over time so pretty interesting company just at a glance i've never dug into the business itself but just looking at those two metrics um definitely better than i expected
0: way better than i expected (laughs) this is the beauty of stratosphere because you can just graph it out and see like That is not the graph I expected Sleep Country Canada to have for either revenue or free cash flow per share. Yeah, me neither. (laughs) I did not have that on my... I guess mattresses,
1: they have a, you know, after what, like four or five years, if you have the same mattress, like they just... They don't feel the same anymore, and I think most people would be reluctant to buy a used mattress. (laughs) I think that's, uh, you know, that's probably. I mean, I would be. Uh, Yeah, like an online marketplace
0: to buy a mattress.
1: No, exactly. And I think that's probably,
0: but not a mattress.
1: Yeah. So I mean, at the end of the day, maybe it's just a better business model than
0: we think. (laughs) Maybe it is. Well, this, this compromises what I was going to say about my business, uh, about my, uh, my comments Uh-oh. here, because okay. I it. think this is a trash business. And I'm thinking maybe it's actually not, maybe people buy mattresses more than I, I think that they do. You're right. Like people probably replace their mattress. What every four or five years,
1: there's more That's of a recurring think,
0: yeah. element to it than I'm, I think I'm giving it credit.
1: Yeah, and especially if you have, like, back problems or something like that, you probably even replace it more often because that's, you know, probably one of the top thing that you can do to, to alleviate those, those problem or at least the pain. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Okay. Well, giving Sleep Country uh, some props here, I do have some comments about the kind of the VC-backed mattress game. And this deal was surprising to me because they already own Endy as you said. So they're acquiring the Canadian operations for 20.6 million. I don't know how big the business is outside of the Canadian operations for Casper. I'm not sure, but they already own Endy, which is like a uniquely Canadian brand as well. Like, you know, their logo, I think has like a Canadian flag in it, in the Endy uh, logo. Why on earth where so many direct consumer mattress companies getting hundreds of millions of dollars of VC. you know like <laughs> this is this is like well, are rates too low? And you're like, yes, there's 36 million direct consumer mattress companies. I think rates are too low. Uh, uh, so I'll do a small segment here for the show on direct consumer and, and e-commerce, because on this exact topic, there's been a dramatic shift. In the direct consumer or e-commerce, I'm going to use them interchangeably here. But let's just say direct consumer startup. So many of these businesses raised tons of capital. They spent millions on marketing the product, and there were there was a few months in Toronto when every D D two C DTC mattress company had every billboard, every subway ad, every streetcar in Toronto. Painted their ads all over the city: Casper, Endy, Douglas, Juno. You know the list goes on and on. The problem? So I don't buy a mattress that often. Okay, so maybe what four or five years? Maybe I, I, I don't know. Like I, I guess I haven't really noticed that. I think I've bought two mattresses as an adult in my life. Uh, the reality is that it's not that often. How many mattresses does a person in their lifetime buy? I, I would love to see a stat on that if Sleep Country has that. What is the customer lifetime value of a mattress buyer? And the problem here is that if I spend $1,000 per customer to convert them, because you bet your ass they were spending lots of money to, in total ad spend to acquire customers – so let's just throw out a number, a nice, easy number, a thousand dollars. You better hope that they buy one more than one mattress over the next three years. Like, <laughs> you know, like if, if it's me, you know, my, my, me dirtbag who buys one every, you know, seven years, I'm not a good customer. Right. So these e-commerce companies that are getting funded and are now working well have a really recurring and personalized element to them. And there are three good qualities that I'm going to talk about here. One, you have to have a recurring spend that is actually sticky, becoming a habit or an essential part of the home that needs constant refilling. Number two, they have a personalization aspect of it. So if you have personalized mattress tend- like preferences, that's a that's good. But this is huge in the health space. If I'm going to order custom vitamins, they send me some test kit to build, you know, vitamin stack specifically for me as an example. Um, and number three, which is harder, but if you have a product that through marketing can be perceived as better than the competition, but hard for customers to actually verify, this is a good. This is a good quality to have. It's a scumbag quality to have, but it's a good quality to have. Let's give an example of a product I've never used, so I cannot hate on or endorse it. Athletic Greens. You know they paid Joe Rogan uh, bajillions of dollars to say this is the best daily supplement to drink. You get uh, Doctor Huberman Labs, the you know the famous podcast. This is the best supplement drink it every morning it's called athletic greens it's great for reason x y and z and how are customers going to quantify if it is 99 percent better than the uh, than the other options i know this sounds ridiculous but this is what's working so in my opinion those are the three three qualities that are are good for e-commerce startups that can actually raise money in this environment and become profitable one day
1: yeah no i think that's good i mean as a side note i i do drink are you an athletic greens green. guy yeah do no like well, i mean i started so my wife has had it for years so even oh, before okay. i think they got some of those sponsorship I and mean, i used to i got for a while i was um drinking green plus i don't know if you heard of that no, I haven't. It's like a similar thing. It's just, you know, greens, powdered greens. That's what if, it is. If Joe Rogan is, doesn't right? talk
0: about it, I'm not in on the cult. Oh, okay.
1: Okay. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, I mean, I wouldn't be able to kind of all taste the same. So, I'm just kind of trusting that, you know, the labels are accurate and it seems like it It does help my energy levels. But whether one's better than the other, I, I mean, I would you not be quant- able to tell Do you difference. see why I mean no. like this is a good yeah.
0: quality of a, uh, of a DDC? Mm-hmm. no exactly so
1: and i agree with that but it's kind uh, of you greasy know. but it's true yeah uh yeah. so no, yeah no, I, did, <laughs> I
0: didn't know you were an athletic greens guy hey athletic greens if you're listening we have a public uh, we have a host endorser right here his name is Simone yeah.
1: i haven't I mean, used uh, green plus in years <laughs> so i'm open to athletic yeah, <laughs> i'm open for business baby uh all right last one on the day Yeah, speaking of green things, uh, cannabis consolidation in Canada. So I tried to transition as best as I could, but uh, actually pretty big uh, consolidation here. So Tilray, uh, which is one of the top producers in Canada, uh, will be acquiring Exo by paying 56 million USD in an all stock deal. Um, You may see different figures. You may see another figure that's like around 225 million. That's simply because uh, this deal will, allow Tilray to acquire remaining EXO shares that it won't own since it will exercise a 173 million convertible uh, debt that it had. It actually had purchased the notes from a EXO creditor last summer. So essentially with the convertible stocks or convertible debt, um, convert into stock and the 56 million dollar that they're paying for the rest uh, they'll own the entirety of the business exo was in a really tough position i mean i've been talking about exo being on the brink for what feels like two years now uh but it it kept getting worse and worse and most of the times they were able to find some kind of financing whether it was through dilution or getting some kind of debt like the convertible debt but recently they just hadn't been able to uh, find some financing whether it was debt or through equity um so, in their latest earnings release, they were down to $34 million in cash. They also burned $23 million in cash during the first two quarter of this fiscal year. So, things were not improving fast enough, although they were improving for EXO. And management had mentioned that, you know, they just weren't able to secure any kind of agreement to improve their short-term liquidity. So, it was starting to look like they they were running out of options. So, at this point, I think it made a whole lot of sense for Tilray to step in, Considering they had those convertible notes, and of course cannabis has been a tough a tough space because you're essentially seeing a race to the bottom in terms of pricing, right? So what Im- that's impacting profitability. You also saw uh, you know what it became legalized, and before that, um, the overall capacity was just too high. There's high taxes apply on that as well, and the U.S. still hasn't legalized the. Uh, the cannabis space on a federal basis. These are all things that, um, you know, Canadian players were hoping that wouldn't be a burden on them, but it has been. And we're just seeing, you know, overall, you know, it's just a race to the bottom. You have low cost producers like Tilray is starting to, to get to. And at the end of the day, I think I still believe it will be a good business For someone in the next five to 10 years, but it's going to be economies of scale. So you're going to see that like other, you know, low margins industries is you're going to see a couple of big players that really have their profits on volume rather than high profit margins. And that's consolidation is essentially the only way to make that work is you need to make it worthwhile on a volume basis because it's just not worth it if you just do a smaller volume because you just don't have the profit margins involved. You know, the meme template uh, where the Grim Reaper knocks
0: on the door, you know, the first two doors and then there's the third Mm -hmm. door coming up. I've just pasted it in the doc. This should be captioned. Simon, every time he talks about a cannabis company that is in dire trouble, that some major announcement is going to come. And, uh, you know, the, the Simon Reaper was knocking on Hexo's door a couple <laughs> months ago, weren't you? Uh, consolidation was always, uh, the path for this industry. And, uh, we're seeing it play out. It's, uh, you know, in hindsight, so much of this was so obvious and I, I will give us credit for being banging on the door on, not on this for since October of 2018. Well, as long as this podcast has been around. So we've been very consistent on that. And consolidation seems like the only logical path for all of these players.
1: Yeah, exactly. And you may see a few smaller players that kind of target their, you know, the premium market, but that's going to be more niche, a bit like you can see that into alcohol or you'll see the larger player with uh, one of their segment that's a bit more premium, like you see with Brewers, for example. So I I don't think that's uh, out of the realm of possibility. But at the end of the day, I think the biggest problem that happened here is they overestimated the potential market for cannabis in canada and they also were relying on you know, they just didn't have the data to make these good decisions or they were making assumptions. And that's the issue, right? If you're building a business and you say, well, you know, the the TAM, the good old TAM is this. Well, the issue with the good old TAM is a lot of the time you're just not sure whether those numbers are true or not. And this was true with the cannabis space where even if you had a decent idea, first it was an illegal market. So you had you. Didn't know for sure. And second, even if you knew for sure, you didn't know for sure to what percent of people want to actually switch from illegal to legal. Right. And those were the two biggest issues. And then people made, you know, they just bet on production, not really knowing what would be required. And that's a big, big mistake. I think people thought like there's going to be
0: all these new adopters to cannabis because it's legal. And that was obviously overshot because that didn't really, I mean, anecdotally, I don't think that played out at all. Like, I don't think so. <laughs> yeah. Like, you know, the 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 cus the, the, the car, the target market was already getting their hands on it, uh, which is just so obvious looking back. But it is what it is. I think this industry has a marketing problem. The reason I, I've been so consistent on this, this industry has a marketing problem with beer. You can build a brand of who this alcohol is for. What are the types of people who drink this? How is it going to make you feel? You know, you know, what's the, what's the brand signal that this beer gives away? That is literally impossible to do with cannabis producers because it's so regulated. The packaging is, you know, all white labeled by the gov. And so there's a marketing brand recognition cold start problem that I don't see changing at all. And that's, you know, any time there's a important industry or an exciting industry, sure, that might be, that might be true but if you have a distribution problem via marketing how are you ever going to differentiate yourself i, I just don't see it happening
1: i have an idea What's chat that? gpt
0: meets cannabis chat gpt da, da, da. cannabis <laughs> dude have you seen chat gpt they reached uh, was it they reached the the instagram usage basis in like 2 months that when they got bought by meta
1: uh no I I mean I've heard numbers that in terms of re- their reach has been phenomenal compared to the other platforms so I didn't know it was like three months per save but yeah they've had the the user base grown to such a pace that it's been it's, it's the most successful like, consumer yeah, exactly. application
0: of all time mm-hmm. and yeah. it's
1: still early innings
0: you saw that uh, video yeah. I sent you though FinChat oh baby yeah no,
1: it looks pretty cool launch that yeah. next week yeah. Get ready to uh the rise of the robots, people. The rise of the robots.
0: <laughs> people aren't gonna even know how to communicate with each other. They're just gonna be asking chat and GPT for yeah. everything. Thanks for listening to the podcast, folks. We really appreciate you coming by. If you haven't uh subscribed on your podcast player, yeah, go ahead and do that, you know. You know, it's like when you subscribe on the podcast player on your Spotify, on your Apple, on whatever you're on you press that, that button, it's like shaking hands with Simone and I and sitting down for a beer, except none of that happens. But you, if you do press the button, you will experience a similar level of uh, companionship with Simone and I, like having a beer, sitting down with us for like an hour. Uh, we have to do um, a meetup again this summer, Simone. We should, we should get put yeah. on that.
1: Yeah, I'm actually after we're done recording, I I have a suggestion regarding that, but uh, I don't want to mention it on the podcast just yet because I don't want, I want to make sure it works for everyone. But um, yeah, yeah, I think that's, uh, that would be a great thing. It was fun to do it last summer and hopefully we can have something again this summer. Oh, you're gonna suggest auto or something aren't you no 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 <laughs> okay, actually good, not so good, good, anyways good. i'll leave uh you know <laughs> tune in to the next podcast for more information not sure which one but uh, in the next month or so we'll probably have more details on it all right so keep listening
0: and then uh, you'll be uh you'll be prepared for the meetup the meetups are fun so uh we'll get that going this summer take care we'll see you in a few days bye-bye
1: the canadian investor podcast should not be taken as investment or financial advice Braden and Simone may own securities or assets mentioned on this podcast. Always make sure to do your own research and due diligence before making investment or financial decisions.